Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast, the final podcast of 2023 before we turn the calendar literally and get to 2024. It's been a great year on the podcast. So many people so generous with their time. And we thought for the final podcast of the year, we wanted to have a special guest. And so we will be joined today by the four-time Pro Bowl quarterback from the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, who's recovering from a torn Achilles that he suffered on October 29th at Green Bay that ended his season. He's rehabbing in Minnesota now, and he's going to have a very interesting next few months as he's scheduled to be a free agent this offseason for the second time in his career, and nobody has crushed the NFL offseason quite like Kirk Cousins. Nobody has endeared themselves anymore to football fans who got to watch him on the Netflix quarterback series than Kirk Cousins, and he was gracious enough to join us as the final guest of the year. But first, before we get to Kirk Cousins, it's time to bring in my friend, the host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, to finish off the last one of the year, the final six-pack of 2023. Thank you very much, Adam Schefter. First off, I am pumped to be here. I'm stoked that you have asked me to do this with you on a weekly basis. This is one of the highlights of my week, being able to talk with you. So I just wanted to say thank you very much because this is a ton of fun for me to do, and it's been a blast. So I've been very excited about 2023, and I cannot wait for 2024 as well. And I just want to point out to people that as we tape this, on Monday, December 18th, Daniel Dopp currently is seated inside his car, which is the reason it sounds like he's in an echo chamber, because he's lost power in his house, and he might not have it for a couple of days, so he came out to tape our final podcast of the year as he sits in the front seat of his car. And with that, Daniel, we can get to the topic one of this week's six-pack. That's right. Topic number one for this week, Adam. You know, you and I are both fantasy guys. You know how much we love doing that. I want to start with something positive and give a shout out to the dudes that helped carry fantasy squads all year long, right? Christian McCaffrey's, the Sam Laportas, the Josh Allen's, the Tyreek Hills. Honestly, they helped win a lot of fantasy championships, maybe helped people win a lot of money if we're talking about it, Adam. So with you being the most plugged in man, in the NFL, as far as I know, is there a way that we could pay it forward to these players that helped us win a fantasy championship? Daniel, this is one of my favorite things of the year. And every year, the great Michael Gelkin from the Dallas Morning News basically acts out for a cause that he created called Champion Causes. It's his eighth annual holiday campaign that has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for causes that NFL players support. And basically, what he does is he provides a players charity their favorite charity and if you have that particular player on your particular fantasy team and he helped you some victories or championships this year he asked for you to donate to that particular player's charity you mentioned christian mccaffrey well he would like donations sent to the logan project and i know as we tape this in my two playoff games, I went up against Christian McCaffrey in both leagues. My opponent got Oof. 42 points from Christian McCaffrey in each one. So to those opponents, they should make a nice, sizable $42 donation or whatever they see fit to the Logan Project on behalf of Christian McCaffrey, Raheem Moster, the Melanoma Research Foundation, Kyron Williams, who if I'm fortunate enough to win a championship, I will make a donation. 
to the American Blood Clot Foundation. Sam Laporta, as you mentioned, your Lions tight end, right? He chose Special Olympics, and he's done very well. So if one of these players has helped you to meaningful fantasy wins or to a fantasy championship, we ask you on behalf of Michael Gelkin and on behalf of the charity that he created eight years ago after a friend of his was diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer and passed away, we ask you to consider a donation to champion causes on behalf of these players that have provided us with so many happy moments this year. Great cause. Great cause. Love that thing. We've had Michael Gelkin on the podcast. And I just thought as we finish up 2023 and begin to turn the calendar to 2024, it's never too late to pay it forward. 100% Adam. Totally with you on that. All right. Topic number two from a fake football championship to a real one. The Super Bowl, I found out, is going to be played in L.A., Adam. In 2027, what stands out to you about this decision to have the Super Bowl in, in L.A. in 2027? Well, first of all, it's going to be on ESPN and ABC. So that'll be tremendous to be able to see that. And the last time we were in L.A., it was a big deal. We saw the Rams and the Bengals play. I remember that. But this is going to mean a lot to our network for starters. It's also going to mean a lot to the Los Angeles Rams, the host of that particular Super Bowl. And I thought it was great. After the Super Bowl was awarded, the Rams COO, Kevin Demoff, said that now he got the Super Bowl, they got the Super Bowl in time that he could begin lobbying their general manager, Les Snead, to start trading away picks for future drafts so the Rams could start to aim to win a Super Bowl in 2027 on their home field, just as they did the last time the Super Bowl was played in L.A. And there are so many great Super Bowl sites, right? New Orleans, Arizona, Florida, L.A. is kind of fit into the rotation. No, a lot of people liked it last time. It worked out great for the Rams. And already, Kevin Demoff is thinking about trading picks. We remember Les Snead's expression was F the picks. F the picks, Daniel. Well, maybe the Rams are going to be thinking along those <laughs> lines again as they prepare to host another Super Bowl in February 2027. As someone on the other side of the guy that got those picks, I'm very in on the Rams being able to make those decisions <laughs> for what it's worth. Topic number three, Adam Schefter sticking in L.A. after firing their head coach, Brandon Staley, this week. What do the Chargers need to do to get back on track? This organization is better than this, isn't it? Here's what I would do if I were the Los Angeles Chargers. They're going to sit down and they're going to discuss who they want to hire. Now, the last time they considered a major head coaching hire, one of the people square on their radar, Daniel, was none other than Urban Meyer. They decided to go in a different direction. They also discussed Jim Harbaugh. That would be interesting. We'll get to that in a moment. But what they need to do, in my mind, when you speak to enough people around the league, this organization has just been mediocre, and their talent is better than mediocre. They have an elite quarterback in Justin Herbert, and yet they don't win with any regularity, and they're competing in the division with Patrick Mahomes. They need somebody, in my mind, to come in and reset the culture the way that Sean Payton has reset it in Denver this year. They need a dominant, strong, respected, experienced voice to step into a Los Angeles market where Sean McVay already is the man. They need somebody to help take control of that team and elevate that franchise above where they were with that disgraceful performance on Thursday Night Football. And oh, by the way, I was going up against the Raiders' fantasy defense in both my first opening round playoff games, and they went for 25, 26 points. 
that's another subject. But they need somebody to shift and change the culture within that organization. You come up with the strong leader you want. We could throw out all the names that will come up. Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, somebody like that, that can come in there and basically command the respect of the players, turn around that organization, and make the Chargers the winning team that they should be. All right, Adam, let's talk about it then. Topic number four, Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of your beloved Michigan Wolverines, often mentioned when you're talking about head coaching vacancies. What are your thoughts on Jim? And do you call him Jim when you see him in real life, or do you have to call him Mr. Harbaugh still? Or coach. Or coach. I sometimes call him yeah, I sometimes call him coach. I sometimes call him Jim. And oh, by the way, Jim Harbaugh, Coach Harbaugh does turn 60 years old on December 23rd. So we're taping wow. this five days prior, which is hard for me to imagine because when I was a freshman at Michigan, he was the senior quarterback, and I still think of him throwing game-winning <laughs> touchdown passes to John Colazar against Ohio State with John Colazar running towards our student end zone as a freshman. And Jim Harbaugh was a guy that we all cheered for as freshmen at Michigan, and now he's turning 60, or he turned 60 wow. by the time someone listens to this podcast. But what's interesting to me about Jim Harbaugh is the fact that if you go back and look at his history, Daniel, he has been involved in all these teams that currently have head coach openings. It's a strange thing when you look at it, but think about it like this, okay? Harbaugh played quarterback to the Chargers in 1999-2000. Then he played quarterback for the Panthers in 2001. Then he coached with the Raiders from 2002 to 2003. Who are the three teams that so far have made moves? Well, the Chargers, the Panthers, and the Raiders. Jim Harbaugh has connections to all three teams that'll be interviewing head coach candidates. We'll see how that goes. Now, I know there's been a lot of talk in the college football world, not my beat, not my more normal area, but how Michigan's got a contract extension in front of him. I'm guessing here. I'm guessing. I want to be very clear. I've not spoken to Jim about this, but I'm going to guess that he's going to wait to see how the season plays out and once Michigan season wraps up, hopefully with a national championship, then he can make his decision. If they were to win the national championship, I absolutely think he'd be even more inclined to go to the NFL. If they don't, obviously they have a decision to make. It'll depend on how much somebody goes after him. We mentioned the Chargers. Would it make sense for them to go after him? Would it make sense for the Panthers, who he played quarterback for, to go after him? He coached with the Raiders. Mark Davis knows him. He knows all these people. So he does make sense there, and we'll see if it winds up fitting together depending on what happens here with Michigan's playoff run in the coming days. All right, Adam, topic number five. Let's prognosticate just a little bit, if you don't mind. What do you think the biggest storyline of the 2024 offseason is going to be? Well, Daniel, I think we start with the obvious one. I mentioned the name Bill Belichick. Can there mm. be a bigger story in the NFL than the future of Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history. Obviously, at the end of the season, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, will sit down to figure out what they're going to do. And there's been a lot of speculation that Bill will be out, and maybe he will. Maybe he will. But I think that right now, until those two men sit down to have their conversation after the season, or until Robert Kraft says to him, Bill, I'm making a move. You're no longer going to be the coach here. Here's where it doesn't make sense to me. Everybody's saying that Bill's gone. 
I think these are just right now assumptions. It's speculation in my mind, because do you think Robert Kraft has shared with anybody that he's made the decision to move on from maybe they know how upset he is by this season. That's fair. Maybe they know that him and Bill aren't in the best spot they've ever been. Okay, that's fine. But they've been together. They've been married for a long time. And there have been married couples that have thought they were breaking up until they sit down and they say, look at all our history together. Look at all our kids. Look at everything we built up. I know it's not right. But do you think you could work on this? Do you think I could work on that? And they figure it out. Now, we'll see what happens. But I don't believe that Rob Kraft has made a decision and started telling people, and it's gotten out that he's moving on from Bill Belichick. Could he do that? Absolutely. Do I think that he's there yet and has shared that with others? I don't. But maybe I'm being naive. So we come back to the fact that the biggest story of the NFL offseason that we can readily identify now at the end of 2023 is what happens to Bill Belichick in 2024. And I don't believe that any of us right now can say. I think it's fair to say that it's more likely than not that maybe he wouldn't be back. But we don't know how this is going to work out. There's a lot that's going to unfold between those two men that will dictate whether he stays or goes. By the way, what if they have a top two pick? And what if they say, you know what? Let's have Bill work with him. Let's have this organization get right with Drake May or Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels. Like, There's a lot of ways this could go. Let's wait and see. But Bill Belichick's future hangs over the NFL offseason. We know it's coming. We just don't know what the end result will be. That will be a huge, huge storyline this offseason. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine Bill Belichick with another team. In my lifetime, I just know him as the Patriots head coach, Adam. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that just sees him as that. I know he has a long-tenured career within the NFL, but it's that will be a, a weird one to be able to see him with a different It would be the equivalent of Greg Popovich moving on from San Antonio. And, Great, and, yes. But, but yep. greater and bigger than that yeah. even. Yep. Ugh. All right, final one. Topic number six, Adam. We are deep into the MVP conversation at this point. We got Brock Purdy. We got Dak Prescott. Some people are saying Sam Laporta. I'm not saying it, but some people are saying Sam <laughs> Laporta should be considered. I don't know about MVP, though, because that's what everyone is talking about. I get enough MVP conversations everywhere else. I want to know you, Adam Schefter. What is your favorite non-MVP category or story that you're looking at this year? Daniel, as we talk about the end of the year and as we talk about giving and all that this year has meant to all of us and the special significance of it in this year-end podcast, I do think it's important to single out the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, which is considered mm. the league's most prestigious honor. And it's given to the player who best represents the greatness and compassion of Walter Payton on and off the field. They essentially do good in the community. They uh, empower youth to lead healthy lifestyles, support veterans, bring awareness to other causes close to their heart. The NFL has nominated one player on every team. So I just want to go here and just cite some of the players. The Cardinals, Jonathan Ledbetter. The Falcons, Bradley Pingen. Baltimore Ravens, Roquan Smith. The Bills, Deion Dawkins. The Panthers, Bradley Bozeman. The Bears, Justin Jones. The Bengals, Ted Karras. The Browns, Anthony Walker Jr. The Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence. The Broncos, Garrett Bowles. Your Lions, Frank Ragnow. The Packers, Devondre Campbell. The Houston Texans, Christian Kirksey. 
the Colts, Zaire Franklin, Jacksonville Jaguars, Dwayne Smoot, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, the Raiders, Max Crosby, the Chargers, Derwin James Jr., the Rams, Cooper Cup, the Dolphins, Alec Engold, the Vikings, Harrison Phillips, the Patriots, Jonathan Jones, the Saints, Teron Matthew, the Giants, Saquon Barkley, the Jets, Solomon Thomas, the Eagles, Lane Johnson, the Steelers, Cameron Hayward, the 49ers, Eric Armstead, the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner, the Buccaneers, Antoine Winfield Jr., the Titans, Jeffrey Simmons, and the Commanders, Terry McLaurin. These, Daniel, are the best of the best men. These are the men that have done the most good over the course of this year to represent their franchises, their cities, the NFL, and themselves. And they all are worthy of a shout out here. And I just wanted to cite them as we talk about some of the more meaningful awards and the Walter Payton Man of the Year, as it's defined, recognizes an NFL player for his excellence on or off the field. The award was established in 1970. It was renamed in 1999 after Walter Payton passed away. Um, each team nominates one player, and it represents the NFL's commitment to philanthropy and community impact. Those men embody it. Those men deserve the praise they get. And we just want to call them out today before we move on to the final podcast of the year and our final guest. And our final guest today is a four-time Pro Bowl quarterback. We talked about Bill Belichick being one of the headlines of the offseason. Well, this man also will be one of the biggest headlines of the upcoming NFL offseason. This is a man who comports himself with class, with dignity, with grace. One of my favorite guys, the Minnesota Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. How have you been? I'm doing okay. First of all, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. It's very kind to get with you. And oddly enough, I happened to speak to our mutual friend, Mike Shanahan, this morning. And I said we were doing this today. And he said, and I'm not making this up. He's like, he is the best. He is so special. I love him. I love his family. I love his dad. Please send them my best. All those things that you could imagine. He just goes on and on. He loves you. Yeah, no, I'm so grateful that he drafted me. And uh, my one of my bigger regrets in my career is that I only got two years with him and his staff. You know, isn't that amazing? And you know what's funny about that back then? That staff was getting ripped apart, right? Criticized for nepotism, for Mike bringing on his friends and family. And now we look back at that staff, Kirk, and tell me if I'm forgetting anybody, but we got Mike Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, Bobby Slowick, Chris Forrester. Who am I missing? Others. Raheem Morris? Raheem Morris was always coming by our quarterback room, and I remember thinking, boy, this guy's really sharp. And I don't – I don't – I think he'll be a head coach again. So I think he'll be another one from that staff. So my frustration is that Mike's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's funny you say that. And why do you say that? Because we were talking about something like that. I brought it up to him this morning. Why do you say that? I just think his coaching tree is too good and his resume is too good to not be in. And uh, um, I've seen Flores get in. I've seen Bill Cower get in. And I'm just scratching my head. I don't understand it. I think his time is coming. And as I've explained to him, because he's not in doesn't mean he's not a Hall of Famer. It just means that other people had the right people pushing for them at the right time saying the right things, and his time, I believe, will and should come as well. It seems to help being 
in media. It seems that if you're if you're out there every week and it be, kind of becomes a lifetime achievement thing when you're always around, but if you only coach and then you kind of are not out there in the media, it seems like it's harder to get that vote for whatever reason. That that staff, though, to go back to it, was an incredible staff and an incredible time. And it is unfortunate that you only got to play two years there in Washington for him, with him, before the staff was fired. And I remember the Monday morning they get fired and people in Washington were all happy that that staff had been exiled and left to disperse across the country. And look who laughs last and look what happened to all the men that coached there. All right, let's bring it forward to you today. I want to know what it feels like for you to pop your Achilles tendon. <laughs> um, I always wondered that as well. Uh, I thought Rayshon Gary had <laughs> stepped with his cleats right on my heel. And I get stepped on all the time in the San Francisco game only two weeks before. The most painful thing in that game was I got stomped on on my left foot. And I was having a hard time after the game when I got home and the next day walking normal because my toes were so sore from getting stomped on. So I just thought it was another one of those moments just happened to be my heel. And it was third, it was a third down and I didn't want to take a sack. We were in field goal range. So I then just tried to, even with a torn Achilles, try to just run forward to get those yards back. And, um, didn't think I tore it until I got up. Garrett Bradbury helped pick me up. And then I put weight on my right foot and it felt like Lambeau field went down with my foot. And I thought that's a little strange. And it's because my Achilles, I couldn't press into the ground. So I couldn't feel the ground. And uh, I still didn't think I had torn it until I got to the sideline and our foot and ankle surgeon was able to look at it right away. And it took him about a half a second to tell me I tore my Achilles. It was pretty obvious to him and um, not an overly painful injury. I mean, literally it would feel like someone stepped on your heel and once it tears, it tears and the pain's over. So um, at that point, uh, I was more going off of how strange my foot felt to, to press into the ground or not press into the ground, if you will. And then wasn't in too much pain for the next 48 hours until surgery. What goes through your mind, Kirk, when the doctor tells you, yep, it's torn, your season's over, and it's over at a time, frankly, where your contract's up and there are some questions about your future. What goes through your mind when you hear that the Achilles is Yeah, we were in the blue tent at Lambeau, and Dr. Coetzee is a man of few words, and he put his two fingers right there on the Achilles and just looked at the trainer and said, yeah, it's it's gone. And, uh, and then the trainer just made sure I understood what he meant and said, you know, you, you, you did tear it. And, uh, they said, just take a minute. We're going to get the cart to come take you back to the locker room, but it's going to be a few minutes, a couple minutes. So just be with yourself. So at that moment, obviously I, I started realizing like, okay, I, I've, I've been go, go, go every fall, every football season since high school, um, have, I, I think essentially always been healthy. So this would be the first time a football season would be going on, but I won't have something to do that weekend. So um, it just kind of hit me that even in the short term, this is going to be very, very different for the last eight, nine weeks of the regular season. And um, certainly by the time I got on the cart and we were headed back into the locker room, you know, first of all, I wanted to make sure we beat the Packers. We had a two score lead. I was kind of telling the guys like, it's a big deal to win a Lambeau field. Let's not lose this opportunity. But then, you know, one thought went through my head, will I ever play football again? You know, I'm an older guy, Achilles. I'm a free agent. Is there a market? I, I didn't know. You just, you, I, I believe I will, and I believe it'll be there, but you wonder, and, and you did in that moment. And then, um, uh, you know, you just realize, man, I've never had to rehab an injury quite like this. What will that be like? And so, yeah, I guess you have a lot of unknowns, and uh, it was kind of been that way ever since. Let's go to the short term first, because as you mentioned, you wanted your team to beat the Packers that day. And I'm sure word spreads along the sideline 
that your Achilles is torn. And so while they're trying to win a game, they find out that their quarterback and their leader and somebody that they really respect is done for the season, right? Word spreads along the sideline that your Achilles is torn, right? So there's this huge range of emotions at a critical time. And I'm curious what that is like for your team from your perspective. Yeah, I think word did spread and it didn't at the same time. I think the people who need to know, like the head coach, probably were told. But um, I don't know that much of the team knew. I, I was trying mm. to keep it a secret because I wanted all focus to be on beating the Packers, and there will yeah. be plenty of time to talk about it later. So, um, you know, I don't know that word spread to the team too much. I mean, I remember even Harrison okay. Smith post game was interviewed about it and was asked about it, and he kind of said, "Well, you know, we don't know. We'll see. We'll get in there and see what happened. It could just be a a lesser injury." So, you know, I think guys were still holding out hope. But I had known, obviously, for the last about hour that it was over. And what is the recovery been like? Where are you at with it? Tell me how we're doing there. I had no clue how to handle it, what to do, essentially coming out of the injury. Um, so at first it was, where am I getting surgery? How soon am I getting surgery? Decided to do it right here in Minnesota with Dr. Kotsia. Uh, had it Wednesday morning. So the injury is Sunday afternoon. By Wednesday morning, I was in the operating room. And then again, didn't know what what now once you come out of surgery. And that was two weeks in a hard cast, uh, just moving around on a scooter, uh, cr crutching around. I have a second floor master bedroom, so that made things difficult. I would be like crawling up the stairs because oh. um, I didn't want to put any weight on that cast. So I was very careful not to do that. And just a lot of sitting, watching football. My I got two boys, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And they would just sit with me. And my older one especially loves watching football now. So we watched a lot of games together and play catch with him in the basement while I'm sitting in the chair and he's running around. Um, the first away game was difficult to not make the trip. Yeah. I felt all day Saturday and all day Sunday, I felt like I was in the wrong place. I was right where I needed to be, but it didn't feel like it. And um, and then got back into the facility. And, and then after two weeks, got into a walking boot and started learning to put weight on it again. And just been a gradual process from there of getting motion back and getting more of my daily quality of life back. And I hope to be back on the, uh, uh, back on the sidelines for, for a game here soon. Before I ask you about the timeline that doctors are giving you, I'm just curious to know what it's like for you to watch football from the perspective that you have this year injured, not being a part of the team. It's something you've never done before. Yeah. What is that like for you? I think the hard part is feeling like you're in the wrong place. You see all your friends, all the people you've all gone to work with at the stadium. You surely think you need to be there too. And yet you don't, it's not what's best for you. So uh, that has been tough feeling like you're in the wrong place. And then after a team win, you know, realizing you didn't do anything to really contribute to it, I think is hard as well. But um, I've really enjoyed being around the facility. At first I thought, do we even stay in Minnesota? Are we better off getting to a warmer weather this time of year where I can be outside Would that help the healing? But I'm so glad I stayed. I think being around the team, having breakfast and lunch with teammates, um, still talking football, being in the meetings, I think that's been great for me. And and you know, socially and also just X's and O's wise, staying in it. So I'm I'm glad we're here and kind of in a revised but still daily rhythm of going to work and being around football. Have doctors giving you an estimate about about when you might be ready to start working out, play again, all those things like that? I think Dr. Coetzee, who did the surgery and our training staff are pretty hesitant to put any specific timelines on it because then they kind of holds them to that and they don't want to, you know, say, hey, we told you you'd be here, but you're not. Or they don't want to underestimate me and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that yet. And yet I can. So they're a little hesitant to put defined um, deals around it. But 
it's just different checkpoints. You know, the next time I meet with the, with the surgeon will probably be late January, early February. And he expects that to be sort of making the transition from walking to running or jogging. And so I expect to make that transition, you know, close to end of the playoffs near Super Bowl, be jogging. And then um, from there, you know, eventually be able to put on a football cleat and make some more football movements. And then from there, um, you know, try to be reintroduced into individual drills and uh, and some seven on seven drills and that kind of a thing during OTAs. So um, we have a lot of time, you know, we have until next September. So there's no rush, but I would love to be back and, and miss as few practices in the spring as possible. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you had an extra hour in your day? You know what I would do? I think I'd call BetterHelp. Get a little help, a little mental therapy for all the stress that we all go through on a regular basis. That is excellent time and an excellent way to spend your free hour that has been freed up. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it in the future. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, for how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. We all go through things on a daily basis. Why not let the professionals at BetterHelp help you with whatever issue you're now encountering? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You mentioned the fact that you wondered when it happened whether you could or would play again. So now that you've had time to have surgery, process all the information, there's no doubt in your mind that you do want to play again and that you believe you'll be back to normal in 2024. That's correct. I do think that this Achilles injury is not what it used to be. It used to be a 12-month or more recovery. I think whether it's the surgical techniques or the rehab, whatever it is, has changed quite a bit. And people are coming back so fast. They're just the same athlete they were before it. 
And so that's been very encouraging. So I expect that to be the case for me as well. It doesn't hurt that I'm a pocket passer. You know, I'm not a running back or a linebacker. I can basically do my job, you know, from the pocket without too much of an Achilles to begin with. So um, absolutely. And the hunger to play is, is obviously as, as strong as ever when it's taken from you, you, you want to get back more than ever before. So um, I do believe there's probably my best football still up ahead of me. But um, I've got to go prove that with the way I heal up and then with the way I play up ahead. Why your best football ahead of you, Kirk? Well, I think the game is so much mental and it's so much on past experiences. And I've heard Tom Brady comment as people are asking, why do you still want to play at 41 or 42? And he would say, I've spent my whole life in football to get to this point where I know the defenses. I know the blitzes. I know the checks. I've seen them all that many times. It'd be a shame if I'm the best version of myself, but my arm can no longer do it or my physical side of me can no longer do it because the mental side and even the emotional is the best it's ever been because of the experience factor. And I think I'm at that stage now too, where I'll be 36 next season and the sheer time on task and the volume of reps would suggest that I'll be at my best as long as the physical can do it too. And I'm working really hard with not only the Achilles, but with my whole body, with my body work guy, Chad Cook, to try to make sure that I still have my fastball and I can still play at the level I did when I was 26. And, and uh, I, I believe I can do that. 36 next season is playing into your 40s, something that you aspire to do, Kirk? It's a great question. I, I've learned to kind of take it one year at a time. So I probably don't think much past my 36 year old season, but if I can still do it physically and I'm enjoying the game and, and I feel that I have a contribution to make to a team, I think it'd be hard for me to just walk away. I love football and, love the challenge. And and so we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, my boys, you know, are a big part of me playing. They're a big part of me walking away. I think that, you know, I want them to remember that dad played and remember being a part of it and go to training camp practices and, and go to games and maybe come into the locker room after a big win. And they can only remember so much right now at six and four. So, you know, if we can get them to where they're a little older, uh, I would feel better about walking away. But I do think that, um, if they want me to keep going, I'll probably keep going. And at some point, you know, I want to go to their middle school basketball games and I want to go to their, their different extracurricular activities. And if football's pulling me away from that, I do think there's a time where I'm probably then ready to be done. But I think that's a ways off. Now, you mentioned that your next consultation with doctors is in late January, February. And I'm curious because all year long, we've heard all this talk about Aaron Rodgers coming back. And I guess he had different surgery than you had. He opted for the speed bridge surgery. You did not, correct? So I'm curious to know why we're hearing all this talk about him coming back and we haven't heard word one about Kirk Cousins potentially returning at any point this season. Yeah, I think Aaron's injury was about eight weeks ahead of mine. So that's essentially two months. And, you know, for him to come back whenever, let's say he does come back, you basically need to add eight weeks to that for when I could come back. And I think when you start to do that math, you end up past the Super Bowl. Um, and, and I said to my wife, cause she said, cause you think you could play in the Super Bowl? And I said, well, if they make it to the Super Bowl without me, they're probably not going to want to play me in that game <laughs> if they got that far without me. So uh, I would be the first one there cheering them on and would love to get fitted for a ring, but uh, I don't know that I'd be the one playing. So, um, you know, that's kind of my thing. But yeah, my wife's holding out hope that somehow if Aaron can get back fast and then you add eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, that I'd be right there at the Super Bowl. So who knows? We'll see. This league's crazy. Have you had any contact or conversation with him at all during this process that he's been rehabbing and you've been rehabbing? Yes. Uh, injured it on Sunday, had surgery Wednesday. On Tuesday, he and I spoke. And uh, 
uh, was just able to ask him about his rhythm, his routine. I want to hear his habits. You know, how are you spending your time? What's your best use of time? What are the modalities that you find to be really effective? Um, and it's just helpful. And then uh, on our bye week, we checked in again. I was able to connect with him just to see how he's, he was getting back into practice at that point. So um, there's been minimal communication, but at the same time, still some, some connection there to, to, and it's fun to have a guy who's two months ahead of me. So I can kind of have this roadmap to follow mm. and learn from, and we both have full-time body work people who've also been able to connect. So, um, really grateful for, you know, who he is as a player in person and the help he was to me, uh, going into it. So you will be checking in again, I guess, to get more roadmaps or roadmarks or whatever the phrase is along the way to help guide you along your recovery. Is that correct? I think it's a great resource and I'd be foolish not to just check in with him. And if we did it, you know, heaven forbid, have a setback to just be able to run that by him and what he experienced. And, and if we're out ahead of it, if we're ahead of schedule to kind of get his thoughts. So, um, you know, there's, I started doing research on people who have torn their Achilles and it's kind of a list of heavy hitter, A-list celebrities, you know, everybody from uh, the quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino to uh, actors like Russell Crowe and Brad Pitt and George Clooney and, politicians like Al Gore tore their Achilles. So, um, and Tiger Woods, I didn't even remember that Tiger Woods had tore his Achilles. So like I said, it's, it's a pretty, it's a more common injury than I realized. And a lot of athletes, you know, David Beckham be another one have come back from those injuries and been a great player in what they do post Achilles, just like they were before it. What made you research who had torn their Achilles? Well, it was just a simple Google, you know, I thought, I wonder if there's a community out there. I think once Aaron had done it, I had done it. Rapino did it. I think Phillips did it in Miami. Cam Akers did it on our team. He's now done it yeah. twice. We have a middle linebacker, Jordan Hicks, who's done both of his Achilles as well and has gone on to be a great player after that. Uh, I just thought, you know, I got to see how common this is. And so I uh, I not only Googled it and saw a list of a lot of names that I recognized, but also then I made a list on the uh, on the whiteboard in the training room of the power rankings of all the greats who have torn their Achilles, which I put <laughs> uh, Achilles himself, I put as number one. He yep. had the worst. He had the worst uh, recovery. He uh, he died. So everybody else has been better than him. He was the first one to do it, and we've all had better outcomes. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, basketball players, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson. I mean, these are big-name guys at the height of their careers who did this and then came back and were really the same player, which is really encouraging to see. And obviously, I failed to mention Kobe Bryant. So um, a lot of guys there. Who else made the top 10 list of people who have ever torn their Achilles, Kirk? Who, who's in the top 10 besides Mr. Achilles himself? <laughs> yeah, we had Kobe, Tiger, uh, you know, KD, Clay. We kind of lumped the athletes together and then we lumped the actors together, uh, um, you know, Clooney and Crow and Pitt. And then uh, Al Gore, I think, was the only politician. Most of the people, Clooney, uh, Al Gore, was playing basketball. That's what most of them are. And so when I retire the pickup basketball, I do think we all need to be a little more careful. But uh, um, yeah, there were some, there were quite some names. You know, true story. It's why I stopped playing basketball because I know enough friends that have torn their Achilles playing basketball. Plus, yeah. the last time I played, there used to be a pickup game in Denver. We would play every Tuesday night with a bunch of newspaper reporters, and I got an elbow in the eye, and I got stitches, <laughs> and I had to go on TV with a big bandage on my eye. And I said to myself, what am I doing? I'm in my 30s, and I'm on TV with a bandage on my eye. No more pickup basketball. So that career was retired about 25 years ago. Have you had any contact with anybody that you put into your list of all the people, aside from Aaron, did anybody reach out to you with inspirational words about recovering <laughs> from an injury like this that they themselves have gotten past and through? 
no A-list celebrities. I've had a lot of family friends back in my hometown who I didn't even know they had torn their Achilles. They're maybe in their 40s or 50s and said, hey, I did mine 10 years ago. You know, it was a hassle, but through the rehab and coming away from it, I moved better than ever. So I didn't realize how common it is, but heard from a lot of people back in my hometown who had gone through it. And then um, I, I joked with Aaron, I texted him the, the other day, I said, uh, we need to start an Achilles Anonymous group. Maybe at Super Bowl week, we could have a little summit. We could all meet in Vegas and invite all the all the, you know, who's who's of, of torn Achilles and see if we can all get in a room and swap stories and experiences and strategies. <laughs> because it does seem like there have been a lot of guys this year. And what's interesting also is all the internet doctors, they seem to be able to diagnose that right away. You can yeah. almost see the snap in the calf, the lower calf, and like, there it is. And sure enough, boom. I don't think anybody's been wrong on diagnosing a torn Achilles when it's happened this year. Like, you went down and people are all over social, he tore his Achilles. Yeah, the non-contact nature of it, I think, is the first thing. And then sort of the way you react. I mean, if you, you know, have a slight pain, but you keep moving, putting weight on it, that'll tell you a lot. The minute you can't really put weight on it without a really strange feeling um, and there was no contact, kind of the way Kobe did it. I think that tells you everything you need to know. And um, it seems to be a really common mechanism, whether it was KD or Kobe or myself, mm. the way you no one's around you and you, you feel like they are. And you kind of all, we all look back, like who just did that to me? So um, it's a tough deal. I thought it'd probably be more painful than it's been, which has been a good thing that it hasn't been too bad. Um, and now I just got to be patient and be diligent with the rehab. What is your mindset about 2024 and where you'll be playing next season, whether it's Minnesota or somewhere else? I'm just curious to know what goes through your mind right now in relation to your future. Yeah, I mean, I would love to be back in Minnesota. Hopefully we can make that happen. Uh, tends to be more of a February, March conversation. And this is more right now about just finishing the football season and, um, you know, trying to help us get to the playoffs and then stay in the playoffs and just be a support any way I can. So um, that's really where my focus is. And then when we get to late February, the combine March, you know, kind of try to see how 2024 is going to shake out. Is it hard to live with that uncertainty at all, Kirk? Well, I think the uncertainty is a part of being a pro football player. I mean, I remember signing my contract with Washington as a rookie, and it's technically a four-year contract, but you could be released at any time. And I remember one teammate said, you were a fourth-round pick, right? I said, yeah, I was fourth-round pick. He said, you're probably safe for only one year, and then you better prove it. You know, you better be the best option to, for them to keep you. So uh, that taught me pretty quickly how, you know, NFL will stand for not for long. And um I try not to take anything for granted, but also not assume that I'm going to have this or that. I, I've kind of learned to take it one year at a time, one month at a time, one day at a time. And I think when it comes to my career and the next steps, that's that's probably the best approach because it's reality. You know, what's interesting to me. People had linked you before to the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan. Everybody knows how much he thinks of you and your play. We talked about Mike and what he thinks of you and your play. Back in 2017, they had a top pick. I think it was the second overall pick. Maybe it was the third. They manipulated. They moved around a little bit, but it was still a top two or three pick. And that year, that was the year that Patrick Mahomes was in the draft and Deshaun Watson was in the draft. And they did not do a deep dive into quarterbacks because they felt that the next spring, your contract is going to be up. And they felt like they'd have a very good chance to go get you in March of 2018. And instead, in March of 2018, you signed with the Vikings, and I believe it was that year that they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo in advance, correct? Was it the same timing? 
Yeah, it's how it all played out. Um, you know, I was on the franchise tag in Washington, and then halfway through that season, they got Jimmy. And then I played out that season, obviously, and went to free agency. And that was a team that may have been in the mix, but instead was off the table because they ended up going, I think, undefeated with Jimmy down the stretch. And he played lights out. And uh, and then, you know, I basically looked at my options in free agency, and it was a pretty easy choice uh, that Minnesota would be the best spot for me. And I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, it was very clear and that I got to be able to, to play here and, and spend the last six seasons here. And it's worked out great for you, and it's worked out well for them. But you guys always have reminded me, to a certain extent, of the boy and the girl that always <laughs> longed to be together, that the timing never was quite right to have it make it happen. There were times when the boy wanted to be together, and there were times when the girl wanted to be together. But there was never a time when both were free to actually be together. And I thought last year after Jimmy got hurt, well, here we go. Maybe this is where they're going to make a run for Kirk. Maybe when Kirk's contract is up and then along comes Brock Purdy, a That's new right. girl that they fall in love with. Right. That's so right. when you see Brock Purdy play in that system, is there ever any part of you that thinks, wow, that could have been me. It's like the, uh, the girl who's, who's dating someone else, I guess maybe. No, I, uh, I think Brock has a great chance of winning league MVP. I think that he's running the system at a very high level. I told him after we played him, I just said, hey, I played in this system many years ago. It's evolved a lot, but you're only in your second year. And what you did in your first year and your second year is incredible, especially on so few reps as a young player in OTAs and training camp your rookie year. I said, it's really impressive. And um, I think he's only going to get better. So uh, Kyle, you know, I know he's been in my corner my whole career, but I also think he's very much in Brock's corner and knows that he got a great player in Brock. And, uh, and I think that's going to suit him pretty well. Yeah. There it is. The, the timing never quite working out for, <laughs> for people that love each other and have great respect for each other and would have liked to have been together. It just didn't work out timing wise. Didn't work out. You know, you meant, you mentioned being a fourth round pick. I'm curious what advice you would give to these quarterbacks who are going to be entering the draft this year. It's supposed to be this decorated quarterback draft class heavy at the top, but then, of course, some talent later on. What advice would you give to these quarterbacks who are entering the league these days, Kirk? Well, depending on the system you're coming from, I think there can be a bit of a learning curve to how the game is taught and what the quarterback's going to be asked. And I think, you know, you've got to decide as a young player, how much am I going to try to cater the offense to what I'm comfortable doing and speak up and tell coaches, Hey, I'm not comfortable with that. I want to run this. And then how much am I going to relearn everything and become a quarterback in a totally new system and be asked to do new things and, and learn and adapt on the fly. And you got to kind of make that decision first of all. And then once you make that decision, you got to go with it. You know, you got to, if you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to learn and adapt to their offense. You better be prepared to spend a lot of time and energy to, to learn that offense and own it. I thought it was interesting as a young player, we're going against Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. These guys have been doing this for 10, 12, 15 years, and we're showing up. I've got three, four starts under my belt, and I'm supposed to beat them, and they've got 150. Like, this is not a fair fight. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work as a young player to try to make up for that lost time that your competition has on you. And so, um, you know, you got to be ready to grind and then uh, uh, study, study the guys that have had success and kind of ask why and try to model your game after the habits that have made them successful. And before I let you go, I also want to ask you how many more fans and followers you picked up after the quarterback Netflix series, because all of a sudden I've had people ask me, hey, what's Kirk like? Like, 
We love watching him. People, you yeah. came off so likable in that series, and people saw how dedicated you were. And I'm curious to know what the fallout of all that experience has been like for you, Kirk. Well, I appreciate you saying that and asking that. First of all, the real star of the show is my wife. She did a great uh, she, job. Yeah, she definitely helps. But uh, um, yeah, I would say it, it changed the game a little bit. I think uh, that behind the scenes access uh, is so different than like your weekly press conference or the more traditional media engagements. And so um, when it first was brought to me as an idea, I had my, you know, I was a little skeptical about it, which is kind of what it's become now. They had a hard time finding quarterbacks to do a second season. I had questions, I had concerns, but it was kind of assured to me by a lot of different parties that this will be done right. This will be okay. I think you can trust it. And I'm so glad we did. It was so fun to show fans behind the scenes and, um, and just what it's like the best we could to be a pro quarterback. And, uh, I thought it came across really well. And, um, I do think to, to answer your question, it has, it has made a major difference for me in a, in a good way, you know, and I think a lot of teammates have kind of said that, Hey, I'm so glad this got to show, you know, who you are to everybody um in a way that maybe you're you know the normal more formal media stuff just is unable to do did Peyton personally pitch you on it at one point to help sell you he didn't have to sell me quite like that um this was definitely his deal you know and I think that was a big part of feeling good about it was Peyton Manning's not going to leave me out to dry you know he's going to edit this correctly he's going to know where I'm coming from having lived it and there's not going to be things where I feel like they're out to lunch. This is going to be well done. And, you know, Peyton, I mean, he's so maniacal. He wants everything done at A-plus work. Yes. He doesn't settle for an A. He doesn't settle for an A-minus. It's got to be an A-plus. And so when you surround yourself with someone like that, you set yourself up for success too, you know. Well, you did a great job there. And there are a ton of people who are pulling for you to come back from this Achilles better, faster, stronger than ever before. We'll be tracking you this offseason. I really appreciate you taking time meeting with us what you're is that the vikings quarterback room is that your own personal meeting like what is that i see brett Favre, teddy bridgewater kirk cousins yeah. posters i see a whiteboard what do we got here kirk yeah i'm in the quarterback room this is my personal desk right here in the quarterback room but uh, if you make a pro bowl there's a rule in here that you get your picture up on the wall so there's pictures you can't see on this wall with fran tarkenton and wade wilson and uh you know warren moon a lot of guys from the past but then i have uh the more recent guys up here so um, yeah, just some chicken scratches up on the wall from different thoughts that I have through the, through the weeks, through the months, through the years, really, that I don't take down. And, uh, um, you know, just thought it'd be a good quiet place to, to, to talk with you since I spend so much time in here anyways. And, uh, before I go, I just got to say how much I respect you, Adam. I just think you go about it the right way. Uh, just like the media can look at quarterbacks or teams and evaluate and say, Hey, I think this guy is one of the top five. I think this guy is, you know, bottom five. We as players do the same thing with the media and we can look and say, Hey, I think this guy does it right. I think he works hard. I think he gets the answers. I think he gets the truth. And um, you're kind of the, the top of the top when it comes to that. So it was a, it was a no brainer to hop on the podcast because of what I think of you and, and, and appreciate your work and your work ethic all these years. That's very kind. The respect is mutual. You know, that our interactions, I think you definitely know that I appreciate yeah. you. I wish the cousins family a very happy holidays, a happy new year. And I appreciate you being the last guest of the podcast this year, Kirk. Very fitting. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. How good is Kirk Cousins? And that is why when I called Mike Shanahan before we spoke to Kirk Cousins that very same day, Mike Shanahan praised him for being one of his favorite players of all time, one of the favorite guys he's ever coached. And you get an idea there of why people feel the way that they do about Kirk Cousins because he handles himself with class, grace, 
and he's going to be an asset for the Minnesota Vikings if they resign him or wherever he decides to wind up in the free agent class of 2024. We wish him luck with his decision and thank him very much for his time. All right, last week in this spot, we mentioned that a Schefter, a Schefter for the first time will work the actual Super Bowl game itself, which I've never done. But my daughter, Dylan, will get to do it for slime time this year as the sideline reporter. And as we tape this podcast, Daniel, on Monday, December 18th, we are getting ready to embark, she and I, on a little trip this weekend to Kansas City, where she will be the sideline reporter for the Nickmas slime time game between the Ooh. Raiders and the Chiefs. Now, everybody's got their own Christmas traditions, how they celebrate the holiday. Last year, my wife was supposed to take my daughter to Los Angeles for the Nickmas game for her to do the sideline reporting in a game between the Broncos and the Rams. My wife's not a big traveler, doesn't like to fly, and I admire what she tries to do, but it's not simple for her to actually do it. So last year, she was supposed to take her, and then right before, couldn't do it. Just it was too much for her to travel across the country. And so I finished Saturday countdown, met my daughter at the airport, flew across the country, was with her that day. We took a red eye back, and I came back to do Monday night countdown. Wow. Going to going to LA in between two countdown shows was not exactly ideal, but that's the way the schedule fell last year. The schedule this year, a little bit more favorable. We do Sunday countdown in Bristol this upcoming Sunday, go right to the airport, fly out to Kansas City, take her, do the Nick Miss game, Chiefs Raiders, in our newest Christmas tradition of Dylan getting to do sidelines for the Nickelodeon game. And I will just say that it qualifies when we're as busy as we are, it qualifies as the family vacation at this time of the year, getting to <laughs> be with my daughter while she works and does sideline reporting for another network. So we're very looking forward to spending Christmas in Kansas City, a city, by the way, that I feel awfully warm about, having spent so many years there covering the Broncos and the AFC West, going to Kansas City every year. Chiefs are always a really good team. And so I've spent a lot of time there, and I am really looking forward to sharing that city with my daughter over the Christmas holiday. All right. I want to thank you, Daniel Dopp, for elevating the level of this podcast this past year. The six-pack is a great addition. We are so happy and so encouraged with how it has come out and the hopes for it for the future. And I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for putting all the time that they have into this podcast to elevate it to a place where I feel pretty proud of what this has become and the content we've produced over the last year. And I continue to look forward to doing more of it in the year ahead in 2024. And I want to thank all the listeners for giving this podcast a chance each and every week. We really do appreciate it. Uh, again, between Daniel and Christina and Sarah, a lot of people putting a lot of time into this, not to mention the time of the guests. And as we wind down, 2023 and look ahead to 2024 it would be i would be remiss in not pointing out all the people who make this happen and i'm eternally grateful for all the help and time that everybody invests in this podcast each week we will be back in the new year after the nfl regular season as we begin to look ahead to the nfl post season in 2024 always love those weekends 
wild card weekend, three days of football, divisional playoffs, couple of days of football, some of the best football weekends of the year coming up in the new year once we return from this podcast. I hope everybody has a tremendous holiday, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Thank you again for all the time that you've given us this year and wishing you and your families a peaceful and blessed Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 